Good morning and a happy Wednesday to you folks. Hump day today, and boy, have I got a challenge for you. Write a thank you note to somebody. All right, you can make yourself happier. You can nurture your relationship with the person simply by writing a thank you note, sending it by text, maybe by email, or better yet, imagine this. What if you got out a piece of paper, an envelope, or an envelope, and you wrote down a letter expressing your enjoyment and appreciation of that person's impact in your life? Now imagine sending that letter and having the person open it up in the U.S. mail. All it is is a letter thanking them for being them for impacting your life in such a positive way that you actually sent them a thank you note. So today, I challenge each and every one of you to simply send an email, a text, or an old-fashioned letter of thank you to somebody who's impacted your life in a positive way. Because trust me, folks, one day, you're going to send one to yourself. Now let's get this Wednesday going. hump a hump a hump It's hump day, folks. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Welcome to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spies. That is Sterling. Oh my goodness, it's a busy morning already on a Wednesday. Wednesday. I feel like we're not even at the hump yet on hump day. No, we're we're still riding up the, what do they call the downside of a hump? The lee? (laughs) The lee of the hump? I call it a good time. I don't know what you yeah, call you know, it. As long hey, as there's a hump involved, we're exa- happy, man. Okay, now we're on the same page. <laughs> All right, welcome to the Crude Life Morning Show. That is Sterling. My name is Jason Speece. This is Play Hard, Work Hard. We are in the Play Hard portion here this morning. My mic levels are a little bit hot this morning. It's white. You're just white. So hot, it's white hot. White hot. Not red hot. Not, no. not orange hot. It's Not even blue flame hot. Oh, no. It's so hot. It's Look at me shake my hands. blinding. White hot. So, uh, just got off the phone with Gale Street, USA. Yeah, I got some more stones coming. You bet. We're creating jobs here with the Industrial Forest Studios. So, one of the jobs that we've created with the Industrial Forest Studios is a mixed media industrial artist. This is an artist who actually does art on industrial goods like rocks and stones and metal and just she's welding and just all yeah. kinds of different things cool engraving right yeah I mean, that's well what, you know yeah. me. i'm a big supporter of the arts whenever yep. i can so one of the things that we did is we took a certain percentage of the industrial forest sponsorship mm-hmm. because here's the thing folks here's what we love about the industrial forest studios it represents the industrial forests which is a sustainable network of forests, a network of sustainable forests. Excuse me. I, I kind of, I don't know if you call it dyslexia. What do you call that when you just jumble? You call it the jumbles? I call it before your second cup of coffee. Okay. We'll yeah. just, yeah, we'll call it. <laughs> it's the morning mumbles, man. That's we'll, cool. We'll call it the new normal. Of uh, Jason it's, all, you know, it's, it's all about, it's all about trees. It's about creating new parkland. It's about creating, it's creating carbon jobs. capture. It's about creating jobs. I'll give you an example. We had a guy from Texas call us and want to donate trees. Mm -hmm. I said, we appreciate that, but we actually have a budget for these trees. Yeah. When someone sponsors the tree, plants a tree, you're going to get paid. Yeah. Now, if you want to put just a penny markup, 
because you want to feel good about the social cause. Sure. Hey, that's up to you, yeah. pal. But at least cover your costs. Yeah. At least get paid for your, you know, we're done singing for our supper, folks. No, yeah. Well, they want to donate some trees, plant those trees locally. We're going to find yeah, people right. who are going to pay them right. for the trees. Do something, do something yeah. locally that yeah. says, hey, for everybody who plants a tree in the industrial forest, we're going to plant one in our par- local park, whatever. Yeah. Exactly. That's the type of pay it forward we're looking for yeah. because what we're trying to do with the industrial forest is solve problems. Problem one, over 50% of the trees planted in the last 20 years by, by cities... And by nonprofits have died in the first year. That's a problem. So while the new movement now is to go plant trees, remember, if they don't have a sustainability plan in place like the industrial forest does, there's a 50% chance that tree is going to die. They and, need. They actually need quite a bit of care. And that's, by, way, by the way, the people front. in charge of just making sure that stuff gets done. Right. And they're only batting 50%, which is good in baseball. Sure. And hand grenades, maybe. Horseshoes, right? Close only counts in horseshoes right. and hand grenades. Nuclear wars. But yeah, I mean, what we're looking for is something that's going to be sustainable. You're looking at a 50 to 60 year long legacy. We're calling it 20 years. Okay. I don't know how long trees live, but I know they live longer <laughs> than people We're calling usually. it 20 years because I say 20 to 30 years because, listen, trees can live 100 years. Yeah. But... I, 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 at the same time, I don't want to make promises that are just ridiculous. No. And 20 years is kind of a ridiculous promise already. Plus, there's that asteroid that's coming back around then anyway, so it might not matter. But this is why we're getting the cities involved now. Yeah. Because in Bismarck, North Dakota, folks, in Bismarck, North Dakota, state capital, one of 50 state capitals in the United States... Mayor Steve Bakken and I talk about this all the time because him and I, we've, got, we've developed a very good relationship over our love of canines and dogs. Mm-hmm. He actually trains them on the, the best. That's like of, his side thing, the, right? The best of show type things, you know? So he, he goes out to dog shows. He's, he goes to Greeley, Colorado, mm-hmm. every single year. He gave me all kinds of shortcuts. <laughs> Ended up at a federal checkpoint, but he was a shortcut. <laughs> was, that was the mayor of you Bismarck. Were, you were on a work gang for he two weeks. That's what he that. did, huh? He sent me into that federal <laughs> checkpoint. That's who did it. That's it. Yeah, so, never trust the mayors, man. We, are, we, I, we joke about, you know, yeah, he's the mayor. Mm-hmm. We try to keep each other humble, right. but... At the end of the day, there's only 50 state capitals. Yeah. Well, and his name is Steve Bakken. And his name is Bakken. And he's the mayor of Bismarck. I mean, come on. I mean, and that's... So he's all about the industrial forest. Yeah. In fact, when he heard the idea... He's been really on board since you mentioned it, right? Since you even started talking about the idea. He brought it back from the dead. Right. Well, we remember, we, we were going to change gears and, and go with plan B or C. Yeah. Because bl- pl- plan B or C is going to work huge huge but it's easy Mm -hmm. this is solving problems the other one is just hey let's have fun right and that's easy that's i mean but we don't want to do that no i sat on my deathbed for 18 straight days without food and water i like to have a purpose in life the industrial forest solves a lot of purposes number one it solves the purpose of making sure the trees live we do this by having a sustainability plan with our sustainability shed and critical pipeline system. So instead of just planting the trees and letting nature take care of Mm -hmm. itself, which 
50 percent of the time it works sure okay that's great nothing wrong with goose and nature along a little bit though come no. on I'm sure that's probably the way it worked too. And, you know, humans were just having babies out in the wild, right? right. 50% lived, yeah. 50% got. Yeah, we would, we would not accept the 50% infant mortality rate. No, we would not. People, right. So we really shouldn't, with trees that serve a purpose beyond what we're just talking about as being pretty, we're looking at what they can do to the environment. We have the awareness, we have the knowledge. When I sat down with uh, the city of Bismarck and their forestry department, he confirmed it's a problem. Yeah. You know, it is a problem. 50% do die. So a lot of wasted money than park services and stuff like that, right? You got to plant them. You got to go and reclaim it. You got to plant something else in there. Well, then I'll I'll take, I'll even go a step further. We're talking with the North Dakota agriculture commissioner, Doug Goring about the different varieties. Mm -hmm. Cause in my mind, I'm looking at it. Okay. We've got a thousand trees. We're going to plant. Okay. In each state. The first year, coffee there. (laughs) First year, Texas, Colorado, North Dakota. Mm -hmm. 3,000 trees, right? 1,000 per state, minimum. Because we got the micro-industrial forest, too, where I think 100, 150 are going to go in. Um, Okay, so when we look at this, I'm thinking, well, how many of those are going to be apple trees? How Mm -hmm. many are willow trees? How many are walnut? How many are X, you know, elm? Because the way it used to work is, oh, let's just plant a thousand ash trees. Right. Well, then some beetle came in and took them all out. Yeah, you want to have some diversity. So they plant a thousand elm trees. Well, then Dutch elm disease takes the rest out. Now they're understanding the diversity and the North Dakota Agriculture Commissioner and the City of Bismarck Forestry Department are ecstatic Mm -hmm. that the industrial forest is embracing the diversity of the foliage. Okay? Because... Like the North Dakota Agriculture Commissioner said when I brought up, oh, man, I I have this idea to take out crop insurance where we put in these weeping willow trees because they suck up so much water. And he looks at me and he goes, do you know how much nutrients they take out of the soil? And he starts, right, he starts getting into that. And I'm like, okay, this is why you're here. Yeah, this is, I'm glad we're having this discussion. You're here to... Take me off my high horse. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, is to be able to look at it practically and be like, okay, you've got it because it's a balance, right? right? You take away one thing, you lose something well, else. And that, that's just it because here, what do I do? I preach the realm of reality, okay? Mm-hmm. What happened? I went into, a, in, into the meeting as the planet of platitudes. Right. I was the planet of platitudes. They were the realm of reality, <laughs> right? Yeah. I had to accept their realm of reality. That's the difference between a lot of these extremists and just this example we're, we're, we're bringing out mm-hmm. right now is that I'm talking about this great idea that solves all these different problems and X, Y, Z. Well, to somebody else, that's just platitudes. Mm-hmm. That's, oh, great. I've heard this a million times. Okay, yours is turbocharged. Oh, right, even yeah. better. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's shinier. Ooh, Ooh it's okay. got an X in the name. Oh, you drop three names. Oh, look at that. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. that guy's got a well, title. It's, it's deeds, not words, with that kind of stuff. I mean, totally. it really is, right? So when when they start, you know, bringing you down mm-hmm. to the realm of reality, I look at it as that if you don't accept that, that's on you. Yeah, if your framework of belief is not strong enough to be able to support being corrected and having to learn and adjust, then you've clearly got some problems. I looked at it like, okay, well maybe we can only have three willows. Yeah. Right. Well, because then I directed the conversation of what I know about walnut trees. Mm. Okay. I love walnut trees. Right. But their roots are toxic 
to other trees. Oh, I didn't so know that. So certain trees cannot be planted within a certain distance. Okay. So if you're going to plant a walnut tree in an acreage or an orchard, is that pronounced correctly? Orchard. 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 It's like the I think you were trying to say is that the orchid past tense? and yeah, the past tense. It's a regional thing. <laughs> it's a regional dialect, folks. It wasn't a mess up, up here. We like to say orchard of my language. No, but that that throws off the whole schedule. Yeah. and the whole planning. So anyway, the the city of Bismarck loves this kind of um, kidney candy store. Yeah, because it's a blank sheet of paper that says. How would you design the perfect forest with trees? Mm-hmm. Where are we going to put the butterfly uh, garden? Where where are the bee habitat going to go? Yeah. Where do the in Texas? Where do the lizards get to hang mm-hmm. out? Where where do the scorpions go? <laughs> right. Where, Wherever uh, they want, man. Well, what did I write down? Beetles, bats, birds, bees, butterflies, butterflies. and beavers. Yep. Because eventually the wood. Right. right? So you got to think of the wood. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to wordsmith that into everything, but I got up to like we'll, six different We'll come up bees. with an acronym for that one. Yeah. It's the BBBBBBBBBs, right? B cubed, B5. I don't know. We'll, well, we'll, be, we'll figure something Because out. at the end, we got the barbecue. Yeah. Ooh, nice. So, folks, that was a very long kind of uh, explanation of what the industrial forest is. But uh, what it does is it solves the problem of 50% mortality rates with trees being planted by nonprofits and by cities. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number two, what it does is it also addresses some of these issues of diversity in ecology. Right. Number three, it solves a job problem mm-hmm. because like I said, what, what we're doing and we're being completely transparent with where the money goes in Colorado, for example, Somebody stepped up and they're possibly going to donate the land. Okay. Well, that's going to adjust the price of the trees. Sure. And so we're going to actually be up front with that. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing is we're taking a deposit on, on the trees. Okay. So at the Williston Basin Petroleum Conference, you can plant a seed with your deposit. And it's like 99 bucks. Okay. It's nothing, right? Nothing, 99 yeah. bucks. It's, sure. it's cheaper than dinner for two. Yeah, I was going to say it's really not even it a night out. It's not even exactly. Yeah. And then for after that, six months later, whatever it is, the, the, you know, the rest will come due, mm-hmm. but not until certain milestones are met. Right. And the reason we're, we're doing it that way is, is so that we can come back and say, okay, we actually, we got the land donated. Mm-hmm. We got this done. We got this done. There's certain things we're going to accept. To keep the cost down. Yeah. But, but we are going to pay people for their labor. Right. And we're not looking to get ahead of the money. We're right? not. We, we're done using people for their labor. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll use rich people for their land. <laughs> oh, well, sure. I mean, and their financial devotion. Absolutely. Well, I'll give you an example. We're talking with one oil and gas uh, company right now mm-hmm. about doing the uh, industrial forest connecting to their property out in the country. Now, see, that makes perfect sense to me, right? Yeah. They, they have to reclaim some of that property, right, when they're done. And they've got, but well, not only that, but there's a little bit of, uh, okay, then we're going to hide it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, um, we're going to do some good for our neighbors out there too. Yeah. And so we want to be completely transparent about that. And they're okay with that. That's what I, They're kind of going through that because the oil and gas companies right now are having a hard time um, talking about the good and the bad, yeah, because there's so much PTSD, yeah, no kidding. to where 
if they do one thing wrong, mm-hmm. oh, that's their their front page news for a month. Yeah, you well, know, and and I don't blame them. No, and it's like playing whack a mole right now because there's like a different thing going on every day. You know, well, without that they a have doubt. to respond to. Yeah, it's like it's it's like every time you try to you know reach for that that extra Jello pudding cup in prison, you get a fork stabbed in your hand. <laughs> Eventually, you stop reaching, right? Someday, I want to talk more about your prison stay. <laughs> Coming up in June, we've got the Bach and Barbecue. Not to change directions, but I'm going to change directions very quickly. Um, by the way, Williston Basin Conference coming up. That's where the Industrial Forest Studios will be debuting. Yeah, that's in a week and a half. That's coming up, right? <laughs> week? A, no, it's a week. Yeah. It's, yeah Let me from, say the half part. From yesterday. It'll just make me feel better, okay? <laughs> Take the week out. It's in a half a week. Damn. Sean Forbes is coming in Monday. Oh, nice. So... She's okay. going to be there a day ahead of us. All right. Probably won't even need us at that point. Jenica, right? I don't know when she's coming. Okay. Uh, I think, I don't know. She, who knows? She's got her own. Probably driving out. Probably. Yeah. Black Hills, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So Man, that's um, going to be a nice drive. I would. <laughs> she's busier than we are. All right. What do we got? Sustainable we got forests. We've got Bach and Barbecue. We've got the OCI Permian chapter. We've got shale energy resources, oil and water do mix. They do mix. Coming up in June. Now, where's that at? Is that Colorado? Black Hills, Colorado, Minnesota. Okay. Maybe we'll go out to your lake cabin. Yeah. We should. We could do a couple of shows there this summer, man. Well, yeah, let's do that. In fact... Uh, Get it on the dock or even take it out on the pontoon. Should I put that on the uh, schedule of uh, events, Sterling's Lake Sterling Cabin? Sterling the Cabin. <laughs> Parts Unknown, right. Minnesota? <laughs> well, we don't want, you know, groupies. No, I don't want a bunch of people showing up. You but, know, those yeah. Ramco brat groupies of yours. Uh, you know, I had an Aramco brat reunion at that cabin. It was a small one, but yeah. Yeah, there's still some uh, uh, tequila stains on some of the furniture. <laughs> Thank goodness. That stuff is acidic, man. (laughs) Oh, man. We should actually, because, you know, oil and gas do mix. That is our way of saying all the different ways that oil and gas have really helped each other. I'm sorry, oil and water. Yeah, thank you. Uh, It starts back with kayaks. Okay, when you take a look at kayaks, they were made out of animals. Mm -hmm. I don't think we do that anymore, do we? You know, unless you're doing it specifically probably to do that, to recreate in a kayak, you know. But, yeah, it's all polymers. It's When do you plastics, think the last time someone has done that, in all honesty? Honestly, probably yesterday somewhere. You think? Probably. Okay. Yeah. I mean, certainly in other parts of the world, it's probably much more of a common practice. But yeah, yeah, but I would think it would be more wood. Yeah, I don't in know. In those parts. I, my brother-in-law made a wood canoe, you know, out of a log. That, well, that, right. You know, that, that's it was like normal. a six-month project type of thing. Yeah, but. But who would go out and go shoot? Who knows four, how? Four or five knows deer. How? I mean. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. To go through the whole process of that. Yeah. Now, back when that was your source of food, it was like building a car. Well, like, I've got books on how to do that, but yes. I couldn't do that without the books, right? I have no actual practical knowledge of skinning I something. I couldn't even do it. What's taking, you know, do you know how to make leather other than just dried skin? You got to tan it, right? I, that's what I'm saying. You got right. to do a lot You got to do uh, stuff with things, water man. Water and malleable, and, yeah. and it's just so, anyway. Much easier to make it plastic. So after they found oil, well, we don't make kayaks out of animals anymore (laughs) and i brought up the example of whale oil and seal oil but it goes a lot further than that because you know paddle boards and we're talking about fishing line and 
all the different things made out of petroleum products. And so this is going to be the crude life's approach to an awareness campaign. Mm -hmm. We're going to go out and engage with all kinds of people that have nothing to do with oil and gas. People like you. Yeah. Well, not like you, because you grew up in Saudi Arabia. You're not a normal person. But, you know, um, that's the thing is if you if you talk to the you go to a gas station, people who don't work in oil and gas, go to a gas example. station, talk to somebody who's just pumping gas. Right. And probably what you're going to get is this weird dichotomy, this weird uh, schizophrenia. Right. Where it's like, yeah, oil and gas is bad. We need to no more spills, pipelines, blah, as they're pumping gas into their car. I mean, that's, that's where we're at mentally is we've got this, this idea, this better idea of how things should be, but you know, we so still use things. My buddy, his wife bought a new Audi EV car. Oh, Audi's got an EV car now. Okay. $65,000. So I had, I had that's an what they're starting at, right? 65,000. That's what they start at. Okay. And so she just went out and bought one impulse buy, right? Because they're affluent, okay? They would, they, you know, they're the upper, they're not wealthy. Mm. They would be, you know, upper middle class to rich. Okay. That type of thing. To where you, they can just go, you know, buy a 65,000, you know, lease it or not lease it, but, you know, make payments. I've right? heard that in some places there's like, there's incentives, you know. There's sure, like whatever the case is. Subsidy or whatever. But their other car was only two years old. Okay. So what made them do it? Just a... She wanted to be ahead of her contemporaries. Oh, uh, okay. It was, it was a keep up with the Joneses thing. Right. That's all it was. And mm-hmm. he knew it immediately because 100% of his income comes from oil and gas and coal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and here his wife went out and did it. Right. She, she runs the office. <laughs> okay. She left a, a major corporation, mm-hmm. major corporation, to go run their mom and pop small business. Well, she, you know, like a lot of them, she likes to have wine on Friday afternoon with the girls. Sure. You know, and, you know with the other small business owners. <laughs> well, that's their Me rotary. too. Can I come? We're the idiots that go to like Rotary and oh, Kiwanis. Kiwanis. The girls, they just go and have wine on a Friday afternoon and have right. fun and do the exact same stuff we did. We, we kid ourselves, make up songs and chants, <laughs> stupid men. Did I do bingo at the VFW? I don't know what you're talking about. Do you know what I mean? These service clubs that, that, yeah, that oh, men yeah. do, mm-hmm. and then they eventually invited women, but for 50 years, it was just men. Right. The boys club. Yeah. Yeah. Girls right. not allowed. Well, he goes, uh, you know, the problem right now I'm seeing with oil and gas is... They're oil and gas and coal. He goes, he goes, coal just was coal. The problem with coal was just coal. He goes, oil and gas wasn't folded into this. He goes, yeah. he goes, with oil and gas, it's like they represent all carbon. Mm-hmm. So whether you're, if you're just in that spectrum of coal or hydro gas, whatever it is, yeah. and he's right. And that's how the other side looks at it. I brought this up when I was in Wyoming. I was at the uh, Wildcatters golf event. Oh, cool. 76th annual or something like that. Halliburton is like the original sponsor, right? Jose Halliburton? They rent out. Shea Halliburton. Shea Halliburton. (laughs) Shea Guerrero. Shea Guerrero, yeah. His grandkids actually own Halliburton. Um, So (laughs) 
they 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 rent out the the Casper Country Club just the, the whole thing for the weekend. Like Why if you're not, a member, man? you can't even go. Right. Like that's how much wow. power they got, right? Yeah. So I go to this, and I'm in the Country Club, uh, the lounge, and after lunch is done, was it packed? It was packed, yeah. right? Everybody had lunch. More people drinking than eating. Well, it's lunch. Right, it's lunch. Yeah, it's business drunk. Well, there was olives. <laughs> that's that's it's the same salad. thing my wife says it's with her gin and tonic. I've been getting olives out of it. Come on. I got fruit with my, you know, mm-hmm. I got olives and fruit. Yeah, yeah good. what else do you need? Put an onion in there, honey. <laughs> so let's do a gimlet. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so anyway, uh, they all, then they all get up and go, right? They right. leave. Yeah. And I was there for uh, more of a, Entertainment, if you will. That's that's what I always call right. what I do. It's Were you the dancing monkey on I'm the, the stage? I'm the dancing monkey because <laughs> I'm not really participating. I'm brought in to right. you know, do the thing. And so I was hanging out in the lounge for about 20 to 30 minutes afterwards, mm. kind of taking notes from what I just did my meeting with and right. et cetera, right? Well, I'm listening to the staff. And this is... Four or five workers under the age of 30. Okay. Okay, they're all 25 to 30, maybe 22 to 30. Four girls, one guy. Mm-hmm. And they were, each of them just made $500 in an hour with tips. Tips, yeah. Because the one thing that oil and gas professionals do, they know how to tip. Mm-hmm. And they tip damn well, okay? Ching, ching, ching. Well, we're at a point now where I've watched it with my own eyes, and I've been talking about this for two, three years now, well, 2018, whenever that was. Um, <laughs> it was 19, whatever. Um, that was one of those. T- they, the one guy comes in, or the one girl comes in, she goes, who were they, by the way? She had no idea who any of these people were. Signs mm-hmm. everywhere. Right. Right? <laughs> Welcome, wildcatters. Just probably four or five meetings to prep you yeah. on this company that, that's affluent and has enough stroke to rent out the entire country club, right? right. Yeah. Oh, what's going on? What day is it? You know, just, <laughs> Do you I know? work here? So in comes, you know... 23, 24-year-old, and going, who, who, who are they? Mm-hmm. And the one guy looks over, and it was the guy. He goes, oh, that was the uh, oil and gas professionals, and he kind of said whatever. Well, all of a sudden, she goes, oh. And then they start dogging on oil and gas. Sure. Like, immediately, not because they hated oil and gas, mm-hmm. because that was the thing to do. Yeah. They had no idea what they were doing. And they just made $500 each right. from a bunch of oil and gas people. And 30 seconds later, they're dogging on it because that's the cool thing to do. Is that irony? That's just reality, man. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that there's, and, it's, uh, there is no irony. And so anymore. my buddy, when he called me, he brought up that story to me. He goes, that's what my wife just did when she bought the car. <laughs> he goes, that's exactly what just happened. He goes, right. she's just programmed to go do it now because we... Her job in my business is to stay current. Well, we need to keep tabs on this because you remember, see what I mean by that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Where she thinks she's doing the business a favor, by and he's up. going, hundred percent of my clients are oil and gas and right. coal, honey. <laughs> but you know, I mean, I would think if you're if you're a hardcore oil and gas industry, you embrace all the things that make your industry possible, and one of them is electricity, right? I mean, that's right. So I I, I don't see. That is a problem. I see the problem is, is she going to be part of that 18% that returns it in less than two years and By, goes back to gas or diesel? <laughs> exactly. And one thing that uh, you should do is listen to yesterday's show. Oh, because boy. after you left, uh-huh. 
the work hard interview was Dr. Lauren Scott. And he went through step by step what you and I did on our road trip yeah. down to the Permian where we okay. stopped in Sioux Falls and had he did this exact same thing. What was his conclusion? And he, he was he was talking about a three hour trip that he had to do mm-hmm. just to go testify on behalf of some of his oil and gas clients that um, the Tesla three that he researched got 243 miles. The charging station that he would have had to go to, there was only four available in the town with two ports each. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you might be in line to get in line. He goes, versus the 83 station that Just Shell has right. in that town. Right. You know, ju- yeah. Just Shell. He yeah. goes, not to mention Exxon or Chevron sure. stations with yeah. the gas. But he, he mentioned about how just to go testify for these people, if he had an EV vehicle, a Tesla 3, um, it would have taken him close to 10 hours yeah. to, to do a two and a half hour drive. Yeah. And he's, he was explaining how that is going to have a, a very difficult time finding its way into the marketplace. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, that 240 miles, that's got to be on a perfectly flat grade with no interruption. That's the assumption. But you've got grades. So you've got uphill, more power. So let's, you know, I mean, it's, it's not 200. And- no. But let's let's uh, let's step on the oil barrel and become shale play profit and take our head out of the sands for uh, for a second because the tar sands. If, if you have a, yeah, that's actually pretty good. <laughs> take our head out of the tar sands up there. Well, they don't like saying tar sands. Yeah, why not? It's I oil, think oil sands. No, see, I think tar sand sounds awesome. But okay, oil sand, cool. Word tar uh, cigarettes ruin the word tar. Oh, cigarettes made the word tar dirty. Freedom sand. Okay, and then oil and gas made the word tar dirty too yeah. power so sand. they change it to uh, no for like three years um they were very by they uh the the leadership that gets paid to control the conversation got very strict about this word usage about wow. correcting anybody in the media when we would say tar sands now i feel like that like, was probably like where a, i got ptsd right now just, just explaining, just explaining it to it. yeah and i'm sure the people that had to uh oh, cost you that that's uh, six figures of uh salary they're getting for that job right six or seven yeah, yeah. and they're, and they're appointed leaders oh totally <laughs> oh it was well there's the appointed leaders that like to dig their heels in mm-hmm. and generally these are not people with power right these are people that are representing the five thousand foot gorilla Right, the, the the kind of the middle manager leaders mm-hmm. that dig their heels in, where they get extra like, no, we're not moving. Right, even though I know I'm wrong, I'm dinging it in. Maybe they get bonus points, you know, totally or like in, in steak yeah. knives or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> well, it's like uh, you know, you we talked about George W. Bush yesterday. W. Well, when I kind of that, that's when I kind of saw that things were a little bit different. You know, I started to look at administrations a little different. I love W. I, I actually I didn't mind him. Um, was Albert Gonzalez? Yeah, the attorney a, general. Attorney general. Yeah, that guy. Mm-hmm. I've never seen such a bigger token in my life. Right. Like to me, it reminded me of Goodfellas when the guy gets pinched mm-hmm. and he goes to court. And he gets done. They're like, good for you, man. You stood up to the system and you didn't squeal. Go home. There's an extra, extra, you know, level on your house. Right. Yeah. There's an extra Mercedes in your <laughs> yeah. driveway. You know what I mean? It's, to me, it reminded me of that because every time they showed that guy, mm-hmm. 
he was getting drilled about something. Yeah, absolutely. And all he could say back was, yeah, I don't know. It was meth week, so I was in Mexico. I mean, that was one of his responses for crying out loud. And I'm going, this guy's fantastic. Wow, man. He just just misdirects the media back and forth on some of the biggest issues that we're talking about in mankind. Well, and you know, that's the easiest thing in the world to do now because there's so many media outlets out there that will respond to anything. Well, because the media will get caught up on making fun of him, mm-hmm. and the low-hanging fruit is, I can make fun of him better. Yeah. And all of a sudden, that's the new direction yeah. it goes. Yeah. In the meantime, everybody forgot that guy got pinched. Yeah, exactly. Instead, they're all focused on how snarky they can be. <laughs> Absolutely, right? man. All right. So, okay, we got to get back to what the heck we were talking about. What was it? Upcoming events. So, Dr. Lauren Scott, yeah, that was it's a great interview to check it out. If you didn't listen to yesterday's show, I'm going to actually have it up in isolation later on today if I didn't what do it. What is it, in quarantine? Uh, well, no, you know, what we do is we, you know, a lot of the work hard interviews aren't live like right. we do. Right. Ours is live. Yeah. Okay. The work hard interviews, a lot of time, it's just, it's pre recorded somewhere. Well, yeah, because you got to set it up, you got to get it, you got to produce it, put it out. Well, it's more about their schedule. Yeah. And a lot of them don't, you know, work till nine o'clock or, you know, a lot of them are different time zones mm-hmm. and we do them in the afternoon. And so, but this one sounds, um, I'm going to have to listen to it, you know, cause yeah, it's, uh, it's really good because he does the economic forecast for the math. state. Musk math, man. And he taught, well, the other thing he talked about is I didn't even realize this. A new battery is like 16, 20, $30,000. Holy moly. So after five to 10 years, you have to replace that battery. Jesus. So now this $80,000 car, mm. whoa. Well, see, that's why it's just so, so impractical for somebody like me. This is not... I like, would basically have to forfeit a year's salary. Could you imagine going into that used car market now? Oh, geez. Where if your battery goes... Right. That's an $18,000 bill. I guess that's like what your if your transmission or your engine block was cracked. Remember you know, the like, first time your timing belt went or your engine block got cracked and you're like, oh, this is $3,000. Do I just get a new car? Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, I was like 16. Right. And my car was like 1200 bucks, And my bill was like 1200 bucks for it. I'm like, do I just get a new car? Yeah, at that point, usually it's better to just get a new car. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So is that that's going to be the used used car market for Teslas and, and EV cars is that oh, where if it if it goes who buys a used car generally middle class yeah. they can't afford that no there's absolutely no way so Dr. Lauren Scott that's what he talked about is these these entry points mm-hmm. how they are just logically not there they're they're not meant for 90% of the marketplace no. and that's where I wanted to just end with this folks because listen, I, I'm I'm not trying to be you know bragging about shale play profit. It's just a good word, shale play profit. But Rolls off the tongue. We we have done so much predicting of things on here that it's ridiculous. And this is another one because if you go listen to that interview with Dr. Lauren Scott, the things he's talking about with the supply chain, and when we talk about the interest rates potential, that if it even goes up half a tick. Mm-hmm. That's going to send a tailspin into the whole construction industry and the loaning and lo- lo- loaning in the loan industry. <laughs> well, we're sitting in a housing bubble right now. But what you mentioned yesterday. So when you take a look at Biden's push, the amount of money he's spending on EV vehicles, which are going to go to the wealthy first and the rich mm-hmm. first, okay? Okay. Yeah. And then the used well, ones not are going to me, I know that. <laughs> the used ones are going to go to the upper middle class that are going to get a wake-up call of a new battery yeah. to the tune of 
five figures. I wonder how many okay? potatoes I'd have to string together to make my own battery. When you've got the direction the government is taking you towards EV vehicles and not spending money on roads. I saw mm. another bridge collapsed yesterday. Mm. Okay. Another bridge collapsed yesterday. I think it was in Mexico. Yeah, that's right. But either way, it was a bridge collapse. Right. And it's another reminder that the United States infrastructure is eroding away. Yeah. And we're putting more money into EV vehicles than we are in bridge, bridges and roads, mm-hmm. which is going now to what you said yesterday. Oh, Sterling. Public transportation. Public transportation. Yeah. Yeah. The government is going to force people into public transportation at the same time forcing them home because if they're forcing you to stay home to work and the only time you really need to go out is a couple times a week to the to the market right well take the bus take the bus Mm -hmm. or go buy an eighty thousand dollar car that's going to be your choices folks i truly believe that what do you think? I think so. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, you already see that in some communities where you, you have to park your car and then there's EV vehicles, you know, basically golf carts and yeah. stuff like that to go uh, within the community. But yeah, I see that as the push towards you have to take public transportation because that's the only thing that's going to be able to make those types of trips, right? Your government told coal miners to go learn how to code. <laughs> Your government told oil and gas workers to go build solar panels. And wind turbines. And trust me, they're going to tell you to use public transportation. We'll be back in about... We'll be back in a minute, folks. And with that, we'll be back in a few, folks. Becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. It's sponsored in part by Chewy Paws. All natural elk, deer, moose, and caribou antler chews for dogs. USA sourced premium quality and no preservatives. They love what we do in oil and gas, and all profits go to the dogs. That's Chewy Paws. Check out their website, chewypaws.com. That's chewypaws with a Z.com. The Crude Life, Play Hard, Work Hard, is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an 
industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Welcome back to the Play Hard, Work Hard Morning Show. My name is Jason Spees. That is Sterling. We've got a special guest on the line with us today, Mr. Joe Sinnott. How are you doing today? I am doing all right, guys. Happy to be here. Well, I appreciate you being able to, you know, come in and talk to us a little bit. And, you know, we're going to do an interview a little bit later on in the week about with uh, some of your more professional duties are, how you're involved with the oil and gas industry. Uh, with uh, you know your your executive coaching duties, if you will, your background though is oil and gas, isn't it? It is. Yeah my uh, my professional career has centered around hydrocarbons. That's what I thought, and then of course Sterling's background is Saudi Arabia on a man camp crew camp. <laughs> I just grew up around oil and gas. I haven't worked with it, and so he's an interesting. Uh, perspective to bring in a little bit but uh the interesting part is you both have uh you know backgrounds in it so uh i thought it'd be interesting the two of you meet a little bit and talk and uh joe first of all talk a little bit about your company what it is you do and you know just a quick you know 30 second 60 second commercial for those people out there who maybe you know are curious what it is you do now sure the company is winning partners and the idea is I partner with leaders in the oil and gas industry to help them avoid unwittingly damaging their careers, damaging their teams, their companies, and you know, helping boost their consciousness to one the behaviors that they have that could, you know, derail a career pretty quickly, and you know, two some of the other things that are limiting themselves in their personal lives that again can prove to be unsustainable. So it all falls under the umbrella of leadership coaching. So again, whether that's an established leader or somebody that might be in career transition. Uh, and, you know, through all of that, I use my background in oil and gas. I use my you know, technical understanding, my business understanding, and my professional coaching to, again, help leaders make better decisions, make faster decisions, and ultimately, you know, lead a more sustainable life and a more sustainable career. Boy, I sure would like to tap into that mind of yours when we do our leadership mm-hmm. series. We've got a uh, either a six to ten part leadership series uh, podcast we're going to do here next month or no this month it's May isn't yeah, it it's already, yeah it's already yeah yeah it's uh, second half of the month and uh, boy we'd like to bounce bounce a few ideas off of you and see what uh, your modern day mind has brought to some of the modern day leaders because there has been a shift and a change not only in leadership style but leadership intention as well does that make sense to you leadership intention it does and there's a lot of talk about that you know conscious leadership is one of the the many buzzwords that fly around out there but even when people talk about intentionality and consciousness what i still see is that you know leaders are still apt to just you know go with the flow and go with the trendy thing because it feels safe so you know we could swing the other direction from unconscious leaders who uh you know are going through the motions and don't realize the harm they're causing to leaders who think they're doing a good thing and they're on board with all of these well-intentioned things, uh, but at the end of the day, the irony is they're, they're not actually going into it intentionally, and you know, they're, they're just, again, sort of going with the flow and doing what they think is trendy because it's going to uh, 
you know, uh, make, make it sound good among their colleagues. So uh, it does make sense, but again, it comes with a, with a big old warning as well. Sustainable leaders, that's an interesting concept, you know, because th- th- that would just seem to be a leader. Well, and, and the idea of following the trend, that seems sort of antithetical to leadership, right? I mean, it's, it's more about learning how to get ahead of the trends, right, or to know where the trends are going. I think it's a, it, it's a very um, appropriate term, sustainable leaders, yeah, because like we've gotten so fractured with the different styles of leadership now that there are a lot of toxic ones out there. There really are. Do you get into that much, the toxic leadership out there, or do you leave that to Inc. Magazine? <laughs> <laughs> no, toxicity is definitely at the, the forefront of what I do. In fact, I uh, started a podcast uh, last year called The Energy Detox, and it centers around the toxicity of the oil and gas industry, particularly the toxicity that can hold back leaders and the toxicity that leaders often uh, bring to the table, unfortunately, uh, at their company. So, yeah, toxicity is uh, front and center in, in much of what I do. How do you... Well, I guess we are going to do a little bit of an interview on you. Um, here, here I thought we'd just have some nice, fun banter, but uh, I'm, I'm so curious because this is such an important issue right now. Absolutely. And so many, yeah, I, all walks of life, not just energy, but it's, it doesn't matter just where, leadership where, in general. where you're at. Oh, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's an office workplace thing. A lot of it is, mm. well, just industry and, and, and the economy and trying to figure out how to navigate through this, who to trust. Mm-hmm. And so when your leadership is toxic, that's very difficult times, very, very difficult. And um, how does somebody, two-part question for you, how does somebody not enable that, meaning put a stop to it if their leader is top, to- toxic? And, and number two, um, how do they identify it, I guess? Yeah, two Good questions, uh, and I'd say the first one is not always easy, right? No. <laughs> you know, when you when you see a problem, and, and you know, depending on the culture of your organization, even the best cultures uh, don't always allow for people to call out toxicity when they see it. Uh, but the best way to do it is through questions, through good questions. I mean, there's no better way to disarm somebody than with a good, thought-out question that you know, allows the other people to, you know, not even get on the defensive, you know, makes them think. Um, now, again, that might not work if you're in a, in a truly hostile situation where you're, you know, you're under threat and somebody's got a weapon in front of you. But, you know, in, in a professional setting, if you ask a question that, you know, gets the person thinking and, and gets them to maybe start to see some of the ways that, again, they're, they're hurting themselves. You're not attacking them. You're, you're not telling them that they're an idiot and they're you know, they're screwing up their all their their human capital in their organization because of the way they're acting. You're you're saying, hey, look, you know, there's some bottom line things. What if we could do things differently? Those types of questions. Um, that's the best way to disarm somebody and get them starting to um, again understand where their limitations are. I got a good story about. Uh, yeah. I, I got a good story about asking questions when. Um, it, it doesn't go well. And so um, yeah, here I am, right? I'm, I'm interviewing somebody. It's my job. I'm a journalist at this point. I was at this, I was paid. You're to, being paid money yeah, to, to, do to go get the story, right? And so I'm asking a person who's paid to be in a leadership role, right? Mm-hmm. Appointed leader. And they actually said during the interview, this was, this was before we did like recorded interviews, you know, this was like 10 years ago. 
Um, he just stops the interview and goes, you ask too many questions and ended the interview and he won't do an interview with me anymore. And I thought I got to be the only journalist in the world that got blackballed for asking, asking too many, too qu- many questions, <laughs> not even the types of questions, just too many, too many to, to the person I'm supposed to be asking the questions yeah. to. Wow. So, uh, Hey, smart guy, what do you do then? Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, that's the extreme example of how how that, that, that could go wrong. But in a workplace, though, it does become difficult for somebody. You know what's very interesting about where we're at in today's world? You know who a good person to lean on probably in a workplace is probably a female. Hmm. They had to deal with a lot of that, you know, just the whole f- f- female revolution and movement empowerment in the workplace to where they, they probably either know someone or faced it themselves on how to navigate that first step. Oh, absolutely. How, how to go talk to somebody in HR, how to talk to the leader, how to yeah. talk to a coworker and not turn it into, you know, days of our lives. Because that's the other part. This stuff can backfire, too. So, um, anyways, I, did I talk too much, Joe? You did not talk too much, and, and so far you've, you've asked an appropriate amount of questions. So I'm happy to proceed. <laughs> but, but picking up on even the, the, you know, the gender team there in terms of women, it's true. I mean, it's statistically true. I mean, this isn't just you know, making stuff up and, and trying to earn my you know, diversity and inclusion badge. It is true that women have to approach things differently when they want to get Good feedback about their own, you know, career development. You know, they're they are less likely to be told how to improve. You know, even through the formal, you know, performance appraisal process that a lot of companies use. So, in general, women do need to be more proactive and ask better questions to elicit feedback and information from leadership. So you're spot on there. I mean, it's you know, it's it's a different approach, and again, it's backed up by you know surveys and studies and everything that that suggests that. So. Yeah. So no, spot, spot on there, Jason. Hey, what kind of feedback are you getting from oil companies uh, these days? I the, the perception has changed in the last year and a half, two years considerably, to where a lot of things that they wouldn't even consider two, three years ago, um, they're, they're not only considering, but they're doing today. Um, I'll give you one, you know, kind of ridiculous example is, what, what do we call our, our dapple smoked potatoes, ESG potatoes, <laughs> ESG of, in, potatoes yeah. of, of inclusion. Yeah. We've, we've added more to the ridiculous <laughs> title. But, uh, you know, four years ago, actually, I did pitch the potatoes mm-hmm. and, and they got laughed at. And, and that was the end of the conversation. Well, this year, best idea ever, right? right. It's like, oh, love it. You know, like it was the first time they ever heard it, right? Mm-hmm. So First time it sunk uh, in. It, yeah. It, well, that's all it was. Yeah. It was it was a timing and place and, and everything else. Well, the oil and gas industry has been a commodity, tangible-based industry for so long, you know, and, you know, coming from the marketing world is, you know, kind of where I come from, you know, is that intangible side of things, advertising, you know, that deadly thing, you know, but consultants are intangible. Hmm. Uh, You know, you'd look at like a therapist, you know, like a, that sort of intangible side of business. Um, Joe, how about your business? I would imagine you're kind of in a tweener spot. You're part tangible, part intangible. Um, Is the, is the oil and gas industry, what kind of response do you get when you go call on them? Do you mind me asking that question? No, I know. It's a good question. It's a common question. It's a oh. question that I got a lot when I decided to transi- transition into this world. Saying, Here I thought oh, I was special. Make sense for, for... <laughs> no, no, 
no, uh, you are special, and so is the energy industry, which, again, is why people were skeptical that, you know, leaders within oil and gas would be receptive to this thing. But, but the reality is, you know, they are. They understand the bottom line impacts, and, you know, there's a lot of ways to, to measure ROI, but I think one of the biggest ones right now with all of the gyrations and talent and, you know, talent's going and they're laying off, you know, there, there is a very real problem with oil and gas companies who need to retain talent. They need to retain that knowledge. And they understand that when you have bad leaders and people leaving the company who you want to keep, you know, they may have just laid off, you know, a thousand people, but you know, there's probably a, a good number of people that they want to keep. And when those people go, that's costly. So, you know, it, and it doesn't take much for a leader to, you know, unwittingly push people out the door, but it also doesn't take much to pay for an investment in coaching if you can not only, you know, retain good talent, but also help them, you know, become better future leaders for, for the company to, you know, to, again, sustain the business. So they, and they, you know, they understand that. I work with a lot of, you know, people that, uh, you know, have technical backgrounds and engineering backgrounds. So, you know, they get the bottom line impacts, you know, they get the, the return on investment and the value of, all right, if I prevent, you know, X number of employees from leaving, then yeah, that's, that's huge. Let alone the, you know, again, the intangible benefits of, uh, you know, people not being pissed off and, you know, maintaining some reasonable level of morale and all that. So, so again, the good thing is people in oil and gas are very smart. It's just a matter of how you approach it. And, again, that's just one angle for the ROI. There's probably another dozen that I could rattle off. But that's, you know, right now with so much focus on, you know, talent and, you know, new generations coming in and, you know, what do they want? And, again, their view of ESG and, and do they want to work for oil and gas? Uh, there are – I don't know of any leaders. I have not encountered any that, you know, aren't at least aware of that you know, potential problem and who aren't looking for solutions to make sure that again, they have an edge over other companies who are just going to, you know, continue with the status quo and, um, you know, try to, try to ride out the, the, uh, whatever momentum the oil field it still has. I like how you just kind of say what's on your mind and, and are not afraid to talk because I'm, but one of the reasons we're doing this podcast series on leadership uh, the different styles of leadership is because it's an issue right now. And when you take a look at what's going on in the oil and gas industry, are you familiar with the term, the big cruise shift or the, you know, the retirement issue? Oh yeah, absolutely. So Sterling, I don't know if to, to refresh your memory yeah. and some new listeners out there who, may, who might, might not be familiar um, by the year 2022, which is next year, Jeez. Somewhere right. of 75% of the industry will be completely new than what it was back in 2012. Okay. okay? Because so many people were, re were retiring and this new generation was coming in. And you have such a hodgepodge of millennials and Gen X and all these other things that there was this kind of concern who was going to get the baton. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we're looking at the book Harry the Dirty Dog. Well, there's a there's a younger generation that has a certain climate change narrative in their mind. Right. So if those are the ones that are going to be leading the next generation, that, that's kind of problematic for the former generation. They were they don't want that. Right. They want to preserve the respect that was built between the land and industry for 100 years. This is why I think Joe is really important. What we're talking about here, to be honest, because sustainable leadership, like sustainable you say. leadership, yeah, because right now I think if companies don't choose the right leader, they're not going to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. 
So I think this is fantastic. I, did you define sustainable leadership? Because it kind of sounds a little buzzwordy to me. So I better call you out on the carpet here and say, okay, let's not let them get away with this. So um, do you have like a definition for sustainable leader, I guess? Well, as far as plagiarism goes, I did not define sustainable leadership. <laughs> sustainable leadership has been in existence since before I... Uh before I uh, started, you know, identifying as an executive coach. So I'll, I'll say that. So you didn't invent uh, toast. My okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> I did not. I have a, I do, I, my, uh, my intellectual property, I do have a trademark on fueling sustainable leaders. So that oh, I can, I can proudly right. say is mine and uh, I can print it on a t-shirt and, and send it to you guys there. So, uh, so li- literally that is, that you're, in, you're, taking. you are invested in it literally. Okay. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> Well, that's, that, that, that's that, sep- true, I- that would separate you from other people right there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go on, go on with your... $200 something dollar, uh, application to the, uh, to the uh, U.S. You know, Patent and Trademark Office can do. We really legitimize it, but... Um, <laughs> but go on with, with uh, your... Right? Ca- kind of your definition of sustainable leadership and just kind of what that would be, you know? Because there's a difference between personal and environmental and, and corporate and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, so sustainable leadership for me, as I define it, is being able to continue moving forward towards some ultimate objective and being aware of the potential uh, ruts that you could fall in along the way. That doesn't mean you're not going to fall into a rut or have a detour, and it doesn't mean you're not going to have short-term bumps, of course, but it's continually moving forward towards some ultimate objective. And that's the key. It's the ultimate objective. So many companies now that, again, are just, you know, kind of whatever way the wind's blowing in terms of ESG or whatever else, they're, you know, they're making decisions, if you will, but they're not very thought out decisions. And in many cases, they lose sight of that ultimate objective. So that's where the sustainability comes in. It's conscious, being conscious of the the ways that you can get off the path, but still having your sights set on, you know, whatever the the final destination and then whatever holders, you know, really need, not just want, but what your stakeholders need to continue you know, going in that same direction. So long-winded answer. You're not going to find that, you know, probably in the, uh, you know, Webster's Dictionary definition of, of sustainability. <laughs> but um, when it comes to leadership, it's also, but it's not straightforward. You know, I mean, there's no, there's no shortage of, of short, uh, you know, self-affirmations and, and memes and mantras and everything about leadership. I mean, you could scroll through your LinkedIn feed all day and read them. But, you know, the reality is there is a lot of nuance to leadership. And it all comes back to what you brought up earlier, intentionality and knowing what you actually want to do so that you can do it. So much longer answer than you're probably anticipating. But as you've gathered, um, and maybe this is me just being uh, from New Jersey, I I talk a lot and I talk fast. Well, that's okay because, you know, we, we like to know these these different things. Well, like I said, I, I just wanted to know, you know, how much thought was put into it and, and quite a bit. So you, you've, you've actually thought quite a bit about this, and it seems like, you know, this is not just something where it's – sometimes you get, you know, reaction businesses, you know, reactive-type businesses, and those don't do well. It's the ones that actually put thought and a little bit of investment, personal investment. You know, it doesn't matter if it's 5 bucks or – thousand dollars a personal investment's a personal investment in the radio business this is what's so funny do you know the way the radio ratings work are you, are you too familiar with no, this? I, how do they even judge that joe are you familiar with how ratings no. work all right nope. billions of dollars billions of dollars have been decided off of this system are you ready mm-hmm. they'll come into uh, fargo fargo moorhead which is a two hundred thousand population okay um, Pennsylvania would be like State College, going to State College, PA, right? And um, uh, 
And what they'll do is they'll, based on a percentage of the population, it's usually around 1%. Okay. Okay. So a couple hundred, maybe a thousand. They send out letters, random letters to people living in the town with a diary asking them to keep track of the radio stations and times. Is it really that archaic That they listen to. Okay. Now, they might have changed in the last 10 years, yeah, but as of, ten, as of 5, 10 years ago, nope. Wow. This was still the same way. So the way they did it is in the beginning, they weren't, <laughs> gee, not that many people were working for free for them. So right. they weren't re- registering their times and, the, and all this other stuff. All they did was they added a dollar. They, they put a single dollar bill mm-hmm. with the diary log and the instructions, and they got back like 70%. And they use that as the readings? Well, then, of course, all this research went into it. Right. And they found that it was the dollar people felt obligated because they took the money. And, but, and there was a legal exchange, an honest exchange, and all this other stuff. But, <laughs> but no, that's so basically a couple hundred people, what they listen to and decide to write down is what decides, what bill, decides billions of dollars of radio ratings. Man, why don't they just rig it? That seems easier. <laughs> oh, no, it gets rigged all the time, man. It's just, Oh, and somebody found out if somebody got a, like, a ratings log, the radio station general managers were like sending new TVs over to that person's house <laughs> trying to buy them off and everything. So um, anyway, but um, I don't know why I even brought up that story, but... Archaic method, I guess. <laughs> Change with the times. Uh, so, what, what, what do you tell? Let's say you're talking to you know an, a, a decision maker right now, and they're thinking about maybe bringing somebody in, but there's COVID and all these other things. I mean, what's what's going on? How do you? How are you doing business? By the way, is it all by Zoom or are people you know doing small gatherings of you know twenty people with a you know coaching session? I guess talk to me a little bit about how COVID's impacted your business. For me right now, it's been 100% Zoom and, and phone calls. Again, talking about archaic things, yeah. the phone call for coaching sometimes can be even more effective than Zoom. Obviously, there's times where facial expressions and all that can be uh, can be helpful. But you know, when you want somebody to be able to be just deep in thought and look out into space and, and ponder questions and, and not have to worry about looking in the camera and all that other stuff, um, you know, phone calls are, are probably about 50-50 mix right now. Um, and again, it's certainly flexible depending on the situation so uh, but all remote and and i'll tell you i i like i like meeting with people in person especially you know when you get a sense of their you know office environment if they're in an office at, at the moment because you know there are things you could see and and that leads to better questions i mean that's what i do this isn't some some giant secret technical thing i mean i ask questions I differentiate myself from other coaches because I can ask better questions because of my background, my understanding of the industry, you know, what I've seen already and, and the questions that I've asked of other people. And so, you know, the more information I have, obviously, the better questions I can ask. But, um, but at the end of the day, again, when you have a conscious, witting partner, just self-serving uh, plug there, <laughs> then, you know, you should expect that. You should expect good questions and that could be done via text or email sometimes and and again there's times where sometimes that's better because it it let you know the person doesn't have to answer on the spot and make a a rash decision kind of going back to what you just said jason you know you know when you make an investment not just making some some rash investment but you know doing it thoughtfully well that's what you want when when you're engaged with somebody and you're trying to help them make better decisions so well I, i think a lot of it's cyclical too especially when it comes to the tangible and intangible marketplace because 
so often, especially in the energy industry, I've noticed the herd mentality can set in pretty good. And so when the, when the herd goes towards a certain place, they, they maybe don't see some of the other areas. And when you take a look at when oil and gas first started, you know, 150 years ago, 120 years ago, when they started, you know, doing some of those crew camps and some of those man camps and, and, and everything, well, it got a little debaucherous, you know, it did. There what do was, you expect? Yeah, I mean, there was whatever it is, it was. Well, then they found out that the intangible service of a, of a faith man, mm-hmm. bringing a pastor in and a p- priest or whatever the faith Or a whiskey be, still. Or, well, that, that was a whole different... Yeah, they, right? they tried that. That made it worse. <laughs> but it was the intangibleness of that, you know, that, that holy man yeah. that actually saved the company a ton of money because there was less crime and then there was less this and that that happened people were showing up to work because they were less drunk and whatever it was though there was it was this this whole intangible ripple that happened i think we're there again i really do and i'm not saying we need a faith or a healer or anything like that Mm -hmm. but services like joe's or the industrial forest not to plug that but i'm going to there's these intangible opportunities that actually legitimately help the bottom line uh joe how's that for a plug huh (laughs) it's a great plug and honestly even you know tying in religion it's a great analogy because just like people who, you know, stereotypical, they go to church on Sundays, they you know, listen to the sermon, and then, you know, the rest of the week they're, they're doing whatever. The same thing can happen with services like mine, where you bring in a trainer, and this is great, you know, once a month they're going to come in and train you, or, you, or somebody gives a rah-rah speech, or you send somebody off to training for two weeks. But clearly that, in many cases, is not sustainable. Whereas, again, if you're constantly living your faith and you're praying a little bit each day or you're doing a devotion or, again, on the business side, if you have a coach that you can contact on occasion, he's kind of in your, your back pocket, if you will, and he's, he's a lifeline. And, you know, you can have a five-minute phone call to get you back on track instead of having to wait two weeks for a formal sit-down meeting in your office to go through our, you know, 60- or 90-minute coaching session. So, so, again, it's a great parallel, but it's also an important reminder that, again, just like living out your faith, you can't just do it once a week or, or every so often. You want a resource that's that's committed, that's there, and that's accessible. And, again, that's why Zoom, phone call, text, email, whatever, can be used for good. And, and that's what I do. Well, I appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man. Uh, but if you got a few more minutes, I'd like to get an update of the Marcellus. Sure. So uh, I think the Marcellus continues to lick its chops, uh, <laughs> seeing that natural gas uh, and continues to be embraced as you know a, a fuel that's going to be around for quite a while. Uh, probably one of the biggest developments here is there has been several companies recently who are now uh, going to start producing responsibly sourced natural gas, which of course is the exact same from a molecular standpoint as regular old natural right. gas, but uh, <laughs> comes with a stamp of approval by by. Uh, certain bodies or companies that are, you know, taking measurements and doing all these things to say, hey, look, you know, they're, they're doing it in a responsible manner. So uh, that's been in the headlines recently because more and more companies are, are starting to see that, hey, you know, they, they don't want to be left behind selling, you know, cruddy old regular natural gas, but sustainable so, natural gas. So it, yeah, um, that, my, that's been one of the biggest headlines here recently. I got to jump in for a second here because uh, res- responsibly sourced natural gas, is, is, that, is that a snarky made-up word or is that the actual term? 
No, that is a term. You can yeah. read it in press releases. RSG for short. Responsibly I, sourced. I, I thought that was some... With. We should start a, a group that helps people irresponsibly. Are you telling me that responsible sourced <laughs> gas made it through and freedom juicing didn't? Responsible sounds better. You got Free, uh, freedom juicing sounds much better well, than fracking. fracking. Yeah. So, I mean, that responsible. Boat is sailed, man. Responsible. What was it? Responsible sourced. What was it? Who, who did this? The Chamber of Commerce? What are they? Oh, it works for the restaurant industry, industry locally sourced. That helps the farmers. Give it a name. Well, that's okay. I, it sounds a little um, manufactured to me, I guess. But um, I think you're just jealous that you didn't uh, submit a trademark application for responsibly sourced natural gas. That's what I'm hearing, Jason. Every time I complain, it's because I'm jealous. You are right. <laughs> I'm not hiding that anymore. No, it's definitely so true. I'm, I'm crying over spilled milk. <laughs> anyway, so I, I apologize. Okay, so uh, what else is happening up there? So you got a new, uh, this is apparently industry term. I got to look that up. Responsibly yep. sourced. Uh, natural gas shenanigans happening. Is, uh, is this primarily because of New York or is this federal? No, I mean, I think the, again, I don't, I don't want to speak for the companies and their motivation. I think it just, it sets, it's, it's, my guess is it's a pretty, you know, low dollar investment, you know, per molecule to give themselves a chance to sell into markets that want that label. It's so, almost like kosher. I don't think it has anything to do with, with yeah, it, it's. Well, it, it, it's it, just it, a third party certification and then a regular monitoring of it, right? I was just looking it up real quick. It's got the popular acronym RSG. When did they come up with that term? Because, what was it, two weeks ago when we joked about the uh, ESG blessing of the potatoes? Right. If, if we should see if John Kerry can come in and ESG bless our potatoes. Yeah. And. Well, now we, we went, need RSG. And we, and we went on the whole sidebar of, uh, you know, the kosher, how you have to have a rabbi on staff, right. how Pepsi has a rabbi on staff, Heinz, Heinz ketchup out of Pittsburgh there. They've got a rabbi on staff to make sure that they can put the, the, the uh, what is it, the Unitarian logo? What is, what is the logo they put on the back, the kosher one? Yeah, I don't even I know what it's called. Fish. Yeah, there's some logo they have. Yeah. They have to have the rabbi on staff in order to have that logo. Mm-hmm. And... If that's who, oh my word! It kind of seems what a, an RSG person would be doing. Is I'm going to do the it's ESG like bl- certified yeah, you potatoes. To, You're damn right, I'm gonna. Sorry to swear, but I'm gonna. <laughs> I, if 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 this ridiculousness is getting passed at this level, I'm on board, man. I'm ready for Crazy Town USA. This is gonna be fun. Okay, hey, thank you, Joe, for that. That I needed that today. <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure, Jason. Happy to. No, that's, that's the only difference between what I do as a coach and what we just did there is that typically, again, I'm asking things in the form of a question to to help you, you know, come up with new ideas. But this works too. So this is this. You just have a snapshot into what executive coaching is. It's it's really all just about potatoes and uh, and fancy labels that may or may not have any real meaning. <laughs> it's like if you're a technically if you if you do a meeting 90 miles outside of your hometown, you're a consultant. That's that's like the old joke, yeah. you know, that type of thing. <laughs> when, when, when you need to hire a consultant, you just hire your buddy from 90 miles away and right. yeah, that sort of thing. So, okay. <laughs> well, sir, uh, any, any final thoughts? Uh, are you a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, by the way? Uh, 
I don't know that I would go so far as saying I'm a fan, but uh, I have four children that were born in Pittsburgh, so certainly they are, I believe, obligated um, you know, by nature of their birth to be Steelers fans. <laughs> yeah, my Pirates, wife, Penguins, Steelers. Steelers. Yeah, yeah a, I think I think a Terry Bradshaw lookalike shows up at everybody's birth in Pittsburgh. I think so. Yeah, yeah. something like that. Um, or, or just he does, I guess. He's crazy enough to do it, but... <laughs> Yeah, they think they're Terry uh, Bradshaw lookalikes. It's just Terry Bradshaw. <laughs> <laughs> he seems like the guy that would just hang out at your yeah, house way too long. <laughs> and, and you're like, you know, he's more famous than me, but would he leave, please? Yeah, is he going to go now? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but, well, how can people get in touch with you and, and uh, maybe reach out, find out how they can, you know, how you can help their services or, you know, just maybe do some business with you? How can people get in touch? Sure. Well, LinkedIn, of course, is always a good avenue there. And uh, the other route would be website, uh, twittingpartners.com. Music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life, Play Hard, Work Hard, is sponsored in part by... Chewy Paws, all-natural elk, deer, moose, and caribou antler chews for dogs. USA-sourced, premium quality, and no preservatives. They love what we do in oil and gas, and all profits go to the dogs. That's Chewy Paws. Check out their website, ChewyPaws.com. That's ChewyPaws with a Z, dot com. The Crude Life, Play Hard, Work Hard, is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Time now to work hard on the Swan Energy phone lines. Jason Modulin, Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Thank you very much for joining the program today. Of course, you represent a couple thousand uh, Texas uh, oil and gas uh, energy companies, because you're more than just oil and gas, aren't you? 
Uh, we are uh, oil and gas, also service associations, uh, service companies, uh, attorneys, bankers. Uh, we've got a little bit of everybody, but the bulk of our membership, uh, 2,600 members, is um, oil and gas operators, independent producers here in the state of Texas. I think when we first spoke a couple years ago, year and a half ago, you only had 2,400 members, so you guys are growing, huh? We, we are growing. You know, we're seeing employment rise uh, here in Texas, uh, particularly in the oil and gas field, and and that's a that's a good sign. It's a good sign that we're coming out of COVID, uh, and things are starting to pick back up, uh, particularly for for all of the ancillary businesses around the oil field. Uh, seeing the caterers getting back to work, seeing uh, uh, realtors staying very busy, uh, finding homes, and and the schools picking back up. So uh, positive signs here in Texas. Positive signs for the economy, too, as well. Yesterday, we had Lauren Scott on. He's an economist and energy expert out of Louisiana. He does the economic forecast for the state of Louisiana in the last four decades. And we were talking about lumber pricing and stainless steel and just all the different kind of, you know, ins and outs that are going on with the economy right now. And, you know, small business owners, of course, have to keep their eye on that, as well as people, consumers, and and just regular folk living in their homes. Uh, It's a good sign to see that, you know, you guys are growing because, you know, you do represent small businesses. Not not only do you represent the big businesses, but I would imagine the bulk of your membership has got to be small business. Oh, you're absolutely right. And and they suffered tremendously uh, during this pandemic and the price war from last year. But, um... Uh, we're seeing positive signs, and also people are anxious and ready to get back to in-person meetings, uh, come together, whereas before uh, it might have been a Zoom call or, or, or long distance. Now uh, there's a lot more invitations and open doors. So let's talk about what you're doing with the Texas Energy Alliance uh, and with the state legislature. I, I see that you're quite active in terms of representing and going to bat for the small business owners. I assume you're going to bat for the small business owners. Uh, talk to me about, you know, what your organization is doing right now with, with the state and some of the regulations and the policy making. Absolutely. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has been very active this session at the Texas legislature, uh, both stopping uh, bad proposals and and policies that would raise taxes and fees, put new uh, burdensome regulations on top of small businesses and and smaller operators. Uh, But then we're also taking a a proactive and uh, uh, aggressive stance in how we address uh, the storm response that we had here in Texas, uh, uh, winter storm Uri in February, uh, really created challenges across the state and how we reform our electricity market and make sure we have uh, the capacity uh, to produce electricity during uh, winter storms and summer uh, heat spells, but also uh, making sure that those uh, renewables that we have uh, in the fleet um, are, are pulling their fair share uh, making sure that they're uh, going to be dispatching electricity when we need it. Uh, we also just yesterday uh, uh, had a bill pass off the Texas House that really pushes back against some of these banks that have adopted uh, energy discriminatory policies that actively harm oil and gas projects, whether they're pipelines, 
refineries uh, or, or other projects in, in the fossil fuel industry uh, to say, look, um, uh, that's fine if that's your prerogative, but we're not going to reward you with state investments or state contracts uh, if you're going to go down that path. And so we were very pleased to see the legislature uh, in a bipartisan fashion take action, and hopefully they'll get that bill to Governor Abbott's desk very soon, and he will sign it. How about when it comes to some of the emission management and innovation, ESG, anything come up with with that in terms of whether it be pipelines or whether it be uh, banking, whether it be the whole environmental side of things? A lot of people are trying to get their arms around what exactly they should focus on. Yeah, it's a difficult challenge because I think so much of uh, of what everyone is wrestling with is is how to define it. Um, huh, you're not I, kidding. I, I, like, I like to fall back on um, it, it is an opportunity for us to tell our story. Damn right. So w- we are already uh, good stewards of the environment. We focus on conservation um, and we focus on preserving that resource so that we can produce it both for our, ourselves, our companies, our children, uh, but also for the states and, and, and the federal governments that we're, that we're contracted with to produce the resource. Uh, we also have been uh, very aggressive about uh, hiring policies, making sure that we have uh, diverse and equitable workforce. Those are the things that we need to talk about. We also have very strict governance policies, whether you're a publicly traded company or a private company. Uh, we've adopted very uh, uh, strong controls uh, across the board. And then you see some companies go even further, saying that they're going to tie uh, their, their compensation uh, to certain metrics uh, as part of that. These are all good things that the oil and gas industry is doing and leading on. And yet uh, we continue to see uh, some anti-oil and gas activists trying to define where the goalposts are and constantly trying to move those. Uh, And really all they're doing is creating litmus tests to say we don't want domestic oil and gas production. And uh, one, we, we, we completely object to that. Uh, you do, too, uh, in North Dakota. We, we both have vibrant oil and gas economies, um, but, but they completely ignore the demand side. Um, that oil and gas is going to come from somewhere. And uh, what they are proposing is to import it from Venezuela and Saudi Arabia and Russia. That, that, that's what their proposal is. And we just need to call it out. We need to say that's what they're trying to do. When we see at the federal government, they're trying to raise taxes on domestic producers. All they're trying to do is import more foreign oil. That's all they're trying to do. And so we just need to be more proactive about that is what your policy is. It's not to raise taxes. It is to import more foreign oil. How do people take that next step? I mean, you and I are having this conversation. You know, a lot of people think just posting things on social media is that next step, which I disagree. I think you got to get out and either contact your your legislator, contact your, you know, you. I mean, I, you know, I've been holding uh, uh, people like you as feet to the fire too, because you guys represent a lot of companies that pay money to go have, you know, you act on their behalf. That's why we love having you on because you're out there fighting the good fight and demonstrating, we call it transformative action. 
Um, you know, so, so many people are, are hiding right now behind COVID and everything. You're out there doing it. So how can people go to that next step? You know, you mentioned people are waiting to get back to work. How can people get back to work? You know, let's let's talk about taking that next step. Absolutely. I mean, um, uh, being active in your community, being active in an association, regardless of what it is, you know, we constantly see uh, Pew Research puts out these, these polls every year of the declining numbers in participation in just civic organizations. Um, uh, that's that's so important. That That's basically what we are built on. We're a 90-year organization uh, founded out of Abilene and Wichita Falls uh, to support the local community. And, and, and they prioritize the oil and gas operators in that community and have advocated uh, for them, for the for we, we have advocated for them for the last ninety years, and that's um, really uh, it, as your as your listeners, as some of the folks that are streaming you online, do they know uh, who their city councilman is? Do they know who their mayor is? Uh, unfortunately, we see um, as as we have been successful in stopping bad policies at the state level and at the federal level, uh, we've seen cities. Uh, get very aggressive about climate change policies that are anti-oil and gas. So we've got to communicate at all levels, uh, local, state, and federal. Um, and then it, and then it's a con, it's a conversation. It, it is. Uh, what do you want? Uh, this is the good things that we are doing in the community, in the state, and, and in the nation. And do you want to turn your back on that? And, and we hope that you don't. Um, but we also acknowledge that you might want to set high standards for us, uh, whether that's uh, l- lower emissions or um, uh, cleaner fuels. Uh, and and we, we are prepared to meet those. Let's have a, uh, a robust conversation about is it uh, technically feasible uh, to do some of the things you're asking. Um, uh, it's not technically feasible to put solar panels and wind turbines across the entire nation. It's not technically feasible to do that. So let's have a robust conversation of what's actually doable. Um, but but we can go meet those challenges, um, but but it's a conversation. And, and so much of COVID has been to break that conversation, to limit those activities of getting together in a room and talking back and forth. Um, and so, yeah, we, we, we've, we've got to overcome it. it. It's what we're doing every day. Uh, as this airs, uh, we probably have about 27, 26 days left in the Texas legislative session. But as soon as that is over, uh, we shift our attention uh, to federal and catch some of our congressmen that are back in town from uh, uh, Memorial Day breaks and, and, and that focus. And then what are they picking up on the Hill later this year as it relates to uh, emissions policies, tax policies, and some of the infrastructure proposals that are coming out of the Biden administration? How can people support you and your cause? Uh, TexasAlliance.org is our website. Uh, We also are very active on social media. We would very much encourage your listeners uh, to search us out there. A like and a retweet uh, truly goes a long way. It it exposes 
that message to more folks, certainly to your uh, networks, but then uh, it also builds uh, and shows folks, really, you need to be following these types of thought leaders. We try to put a lot in uh, both legislative items, federal items, but then also uh, energy uh, and oil and gas, and, and, and that is tremendously helpful. Uh, if you're an operator, if you work in the oil and gas industry, we'd love to have you as a member as well, texasalliance.org, uh, and, and you can check out what we're up to and uh, how you can become a member. Exclusive interview industry news, environmental innovation at thecrudelife.com. Jason Space. Thank you for joining the program today. You know, I, I come from an oil background. My family's been in the oil and gas industry for 60 years. I, I think the thing with the younger generation is the younger generation has pretty much bought into the climate change phenomenon. They really believe everything that people tell them. We just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without, without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is. So I, I don't want to be real critical of them because being a guy who's, you know, dad has several small businesses and, and coming from that sort of small business background, I get it. I mean, the, the, the operators here were put in a real bad position by the state of North Dakota. I'm glad that we've got people like you to pay attention and bring us information on stuff like this. Prices can't go any lower for services. I, I, they're, they're too low right now. I, our margins are in the single percentage point if we're lucky, and we're not lucky that often. You're exactly right. ESG is becoming more and more important to shareholders. I can see for my 20 companies, they take it very serious. It makes perfect sense, and I thought you had a really good show last week. Jason, I love your inquisitive questions because you you ask important questions that that lead to the most important truths. Hey, this is Kevin Kramer representing proudly the state of North Dakota United States Senate. I'm Jason Speece, who's like the best energy interviewer in the world. No one does an interview like Jason Speece. We all like living the crude life, so... <laughs> The Crude Life with host Jason Speece. My name is Jason Speece, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Dr. Lauren Scott, energy expert and economist, as well as Professor Emeritus at Louisiana State University. This is Dr. Lauren Scott. Well, especially on the commodity side, what we're hearing is a lot of prices are going up, and part of that has to do with just shortages, uh, just a whole supply chain right now is still kind of gummed up as a result of COVID. Uh, for example, it's, it's, it's even the ships, you could get all your ships loaded from China or wherever they're coming and get to the West Coast or down to the port of New Orleans or some other places. Uh, you've, got, you've got to get them unloaded, and there are issues at each one of the ports with that. A lot of ships are stacked up at the uh, ports waiting to be unloaded. And then once they're unloaded, there's there's a there's a real problem still with trucking. 
Uh, a lot of the truckers are not back on the road yet. And so there's a real wait time for, for truckers right now. Uh, and as a result, it's just, it's really driven up the price of commodities, whether they're commodities that are going to be imported or commodities that are uh, already been, even being made, even being made here. So uh, uh, it's uh, it's just really a mess right now. I know that there's a lumber company, multi-billion dollar lumber company here in Louisiana that makes plywood and oriented strand board, and their their prices have gone up by a factor of nine. So it is it is uh, it's real it's a real it's a real mess right now. To listen to the full-length interview with Dr. Lauren Scott, Professor Emeritus at Louisiana State University and President of Lauren Scott & Associates, or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're there, be sure to check out our ever-growing army of social media energy enthusiasts by clicking on our social media tab. We have the YouTubes, the Facebooks, even the Twitters are now at thecrudelife.com. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies asking and always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. So there's still people without power as of this morning. You know, right now, I think there's very limited driving out there in West Texas. They're generating about 5% of the power today uh, in, in Texas. Sensing a microphone because I just poured a glass of water because we don't have running water here yet. I mean, this, is, this has been uh, a very trying week for a lot of people across the state of Texas. Uh, there are, and, and let me just say this, I, I'm sorry that so many Texans were let down by their grid. On the phone talking with us today, Chairman Christy Craddock of the Texas Railroad Commission. We have roughly 470,000 miles of interstate and intrastate pipe and pipelines in Texas and roughly another 500,000 miles 
of gas utilities uh, lines in Texas. So we have a lot of, and gathering lines are in that 470,000 miles as well. So we have a lot of pipe in Texas. We're the largest pipe state by a sixth. It it is a very challenging day in Texas right now. Uh, The grid operator is projecting that nearly 3 million homes in Texas uh, are without power today. uh, And and there's... It's our snowing here in Lubbock again. I mean, I don't... I thought it was supposed to be sunny today. So I'm from Odessa, and that's a big part of my district, but I also represent, uh, in addition to Hector County, uh, three other counties in the Permian Basin. So Andrews County, Hector County, Ward County, and Winkler County, but uh, all, all in West Texas, all in the middle of the oil patch. You know, when they close the roads down, we can't transport that, that those, uh, those materials. And so we can't get the product to uh, where it needs to go to get refined so that we can either one, heat our homes, or two, uh, have fuel for our vehicles. Um, with pipelines, that doesn't really come into effect. You know, once the pipelines are laid, not much can stop that that crude oil or uh, natural gas from getting from point A to point B. They are so far behind the curve on getting the storage, the battery storage, uh, in place to be even be able to handle a, 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 you know, the most minute degree of storage for a case like what happened in Texas. And now, you know, there's going to be a spotlight on that. And just an incredible impact. We saw nearly 30 gigawatts uh, come offline yesterday. Half the lodge went without water since Saturday. On Friday, the Railroad Commission uh, took quick action. I know you recently had Chairman Craddock on. We'll have water for until 5 p.m. and then we'll be off again for the night. On Friday, I sent a letter asking the Public Utilities Commission of Texas to rescind its order authorizing uh, these uh, uh, generators, these generators or these providers to increase the rates. You know, I don't know that true, but I don't think I'd want to be in a hospital in Dallas, Texas on, a, on life support and know that wind energy is going to be my source of keeping that machine running, right? J.P. Warren reporting from uh, Houston, Texas at 9, 12 a.m. Uh, I don't even know what day it is right now. I think it's Wednesday. Uh, we ran out of water yesterday. Well, I've had maybe three hours of sleep in three days. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. Is sponsored in part by... It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. Is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come.